Fort Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. And this is the podcast about sports in Charlotte. Joining us today is Charlotte 49ers head coach Kevin Langan. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And it is a, an interesting year, to say the very least. But tell us a bit about where things stand for the men's soccer program at present and where things are heading into this beautiful first day of October. I mean, it really is gorgeous out. It's perfect playing weather. But it's a lot more training than um, competitive playing for the 49ers and many college programs at this point. Yes, well, we most of the guys came back middle of July expecting a season, as we all did, um, and started training on their own. And then we started our official camp around August the 15th, still unsure of what our season would look like, would it be out of conference or in conference. And then I think word came, came just sort of late August that our season was going to be postponed to the spring. So the guys have been training very, very hard. Um, obviously, there was that motivation for a, an imminent season coming up, and then we had to switch modes pretty quickly to, okay, let, let's get into this heavy, heavy development phase that we want to get into and make each day count and push. Um, and the good news is we're starting to get more and more information from the NCAA about what our spring will look like. Um, so at the moment, we should be able to start up playing games February the 3rd. And that will go through to April the 17th. We'll have a full conference schedule. And we're just now uh, trying to build out our non-conference schedule at the first part of the season. So we're starting to get more and more information. Um, and at this stage, anything we can get, we're going to take. Because obviously we've not played, a, not played a competitive game now since the beginning of March. So we're excited to get back on the field and, and see where we are. What is the training balance portion of this look like because of course there's a lot of all right you're preparing for what you expect to be a season and then it's is it pump the brakes and say all right now it's an extended preseason or is it that balance of saying okay we want to push the guys we want them to develop but at the same time you don't want to get to february and have people who are like all right i'm completely burned out i went too hard in the fall yeah it, it's um we're forced with the college season to really um speed up a pre-season against all the science advice. So normally a college pre-season, you're trying to cram a lot into, a lot of volume, a lot of intensity, a lot of information for the players. So we, we pumped the brakes on that when we knew, and we decided to extend the pre-season a little bit. And then once we got the players up to almost match fitness, it's very hard to get there if you're not playing competitive games, but, but to a high level of fitness, then we, we've gone into this really deep development phase with them. Um, we spent some time with the players individually with them all and we tried to design what we've called our perfect week for developing. So um, we're allowed at the moment in our 20 hours of play with one day off a week. So six days a week we're going very, very hard. And within that week, we've um, really tried to hit on all the, the facets that, that make a player and keep them developing and pushing. So um, just an example, on a Monday, we'll do lots of technical work with them that, that matches their own training goals. We'll work some strength off the body and we'll work on some sprint training with them. Tuesdays we'll hit, Tuesdays is for the program. We hit our game model and what we want to work on as a team. Wednesdays is a high volume where they play a lot, but with conditions in the game. So we keep building on their fitness and also try and overload the player a little bit, overload the team so that we're playing our style and we're, we're thinking the right way and moving the right way and all together, but kind of overload a game situation. Thursdays, again, is the game model. Fridays, we give back to the player, technically. And then on a Saturday, we, we put on the green and the white jerseys and we play each other. And then in amongst that, we've got video analysis. We've got uh, psychological 
Zoom meetings with our psychologists, we've got nutrition chats. So we're just trying to design this perfect week for the player where if we're in this mode for the next 12 weeks that we can look back and say, oh, oh wow, look how far we've come, look how much we've developed as a team, as a program, individually. Uh, we call it train the brain, how our mindset is moving forward. So rather than kind of think, whoa, me and the guys getting upset, uh, we really tried to push them. And I think that's what, you know, elite players want, what our top college players want. They want a, an environment that pushes them and challenges them, provokes them and, and helps them develop. But they also want to know that they're cared for and that we've got their best interests and that they have a big, big say in their development and their ownership of it. So we tried to, yes, I guess we, we switched modes twice since August. One, we, okay, let's extend pre-season. This is exciting. We get, you know, a good six-week pre-season and we're starting and, oh, okay, right now let's switch modes to absolute development. Because, um, you know, competition, development is not separate than competition. They, they go hand in hand together, almost like, you know, you study for an exam and then you take the exam. So we're just getting a, a really extended period of really rehearsing and revising and really developing ourselves. So when our first exam comes in February, we, we should be flying. Does this feel like the newcomers and other guys who may have been you know, coming back from injury, that this is actually beneficial to them to really fit in, adapt, and learn the manager's identity, how you want them to play, and make that jump from the club and high school level into the college level versus, you know, having that shorter preseason and immediately, you know, that you guys would be several games in by now. Yes, yeah, so there are lots of pros and cons to what's happening with us at the moment. Certainly a pro is it gives the, the new players and the transfers and you guys join the program an extended period to, to learn our culture, learn our style, uh, build that cohesion within the team, um, just get used to a college lifestyle where they've got a, you know, it's a bit different than club where maybe you can turn up at club, switch on, train and then leave. You know, we expect this to be a way life for the players here. Um, so yes, absolutely. That's certainly a big pro for the, for the new guys. Um, and then for the older ones, it's probably a bit more of a con that they, they know what they're doing and they just want to get out there and test themselves and, and start to build a season. But it is what it is. Now this is looking further ahead, but we'll use this past year as an example. This point, the season's going on. You've got someone, Elliot Panico, for instance, ends up getting drafted in the winter, gone on to the next level in MLS. What does this offer for the players who will be seniors now? And how does that transition work or look? Is it stay and play your final season? Or is it a matter of no one really knows at this point? <laughs> I'm starting to get information about what the MLS draft is looking like. It's going to go ahead. There's not going to be an official combine. Um, so the, the draft is going to go ahead in January. Uh, we're just trying to work with the MLS, with the college coaches, of, of what that will look like and then what that means for the players who are in their senior year. And I guess if, if a player gets a Generation Adidas contract or is guaranteed a two-year deal, then they should go and take it. You know, if a player gets, you know, there's almost uh, three phases to getting drafted. You know, there's the, the guaranteed contract, the probable and the possible. So I guess if you're in that probable and possible, do you stay and play and then maybe look later on? I don't know. Um, so we're just trying to figure that out. For, for our guys, we have uh, six, seven guys coming to the end of their, their college career. So, But every single one has a different story. Every single one has different motivations and targets and goals. So, so rather than say, hey, all stay and play or all go, it's very different for every every individual player. And, of course, with the uh, the one position, or well, several positions, but a key position that I know people were looking forward to seeing, who would replace Elliot 
Engel. Obviously, he wrote, raised the standard for the 49ers in terms of his Absolutely. time with the program, his ability, the, the records set and so forth, but he obviously raised the standard for the program. There are multiple players who have joined, whether you're talking about transfers, guys who have been with the program, or you know, newcomers. Is that something where you're looking at these guys saying, you know, it's it's up for grabs, prove your case and show why you should be the starter in February, or is there kind of an idea of you no, know, you've put in the work, this this is going to be your position several months from now? No, it's, it's always compete for the spot. It's always it's an empty spot, and that's for, it's for everyone. That's um, if you look at the history of our program, I think something we can be very proud of is whether it's a freshman or a senior, they have to earn their spot and then they get it. Um, so, for the goalkeeper position. Unfortunately, we didn't get to, to play many games in the spring. We just got one, um, which obviously you can build your your resume for that position if you want for, for the goalkeepers. But they're training very hard. We've got four wonderful goalkeepers. They all push each other. Uh, Brian's an incredible. Brian was an incredible goalie coach. You know, it's the goalkeeper union going on every day when they go out there. We have Austin, who's been here for the last four years and been an incredible servant to the program. Um, been waiting for this chance of Elliot. Got Tom, who joined us last year, uh, and Jordan, who's just joined us, and then Daniel, who's transferred in, you know, from a, from a great program, and and wants to make that spot his own as well. So they're all competing very hard. If you'd ask me now, I don't know. Um, a lot of things can happen between now and February, but the key thing for them is that every day they go out and compete and push themselves and compete against themselves and compete with each other, not against each other, with each other to try and earn that spot and become as good as they can become. Looking at other positions, Teddy Shaish was pivotal for the program. I mean, he pulled the strings. He was dynamic both in the attacking third, the defensive third. Who are you looking toward to really not so much fill that role, but develop into that role? Well, I think this is a this is the beauty of college soccer. I mean, every year you're going to have to replace. Uh, different players as they move on, um, but you never really replace them. I would say that the, the, the team takes on a little different identity. Teddy was a, a deep-lying midfielder who got lots and lots of assists for us. That was his main strength, mainly because he was such an incredible um, free kick taker and corner kick taker, and were very very dominant on those phases of the game. But also, he's had a had a great composure in the final third to pick the right pass at the right time for the right run. Uh, but, but looking at our team now, I think we're going to have a lot more uh, creativity and a lot more players within the team, some who've joined us, but others who've kind of grown in the year. We're going to create from different positions. We're going to have a lot more creation from out wide this year, I believe. We're going to have a, um, a little bit more creation from underneath this year. So with regards to Teddy, yes, we, we miss his maturity and his calmness and his just game intelligence. But there are lots of players in the program who are ready to step into that spot and they'll give the position a different look. Maybe they'll focus a bit more defensively. Maybe they'll, um, maybe they won't be as good a passer as Teddy because that would be very hard to find in college soccer. But you know, they'll approach that position a bit differently. Maybe with a bit more, a bit more physicality, for example. So we're very happy with where the squad is at the moment. We're very happy with where the program has taken shape. And like I said, every day it kind of takes on a little, okay, wow, that, that, that relationship works really well, or we like that shape, or uh, we like the ideas moving forward there, so let's keep building on that, rather than we move Teddy up and then bring in a, you know, a Teddy 2.0. That, that's not going to happen. 
Of course, there's a, you could go on and on with the list of players of uh, a clone, a 2.0, you know, whether it's Elliot Callum, Montgomery, Brent Bronico, the list goes on and on and on. But particularly at center back, who are you looking to fill those roles this year? Well, I think last year, um, Patrick Hogan, who has obviously been a three-year starter for us and grown tremendously as a person, as a player, just a really reliable. He, I can say now, you know, touch wood, Pat stays injury-free and keeps pushing. He'll be one of the captains for next year. So I think that's his spot. And then we finished last year with Sean Suber. You know, the freshman fitted in really nicely with him. He got uh, to play a little bit last year through injuries, but certainly was ready. It was a case of me holding him back rather than not being ready to go play and I thought finished the season really really strong um, the exciting thing for Sean he's an excellent you know, great player great college player right now but I think his potential is vast and we're starting to see that in the, over the last you know hidden behind the scenes because no one's got to see us play but he's really developing well and we're just putting more and more on him in terms of maturity and consistency and intensity and he's doing that real well so those two complement each other very well and we like those as you probably picked up in the past, we like kind of the old dog teaching the, you know, the young dog puppy new tricks. And I think that's a nice relationship between them, between them both. You know, Pat played that role with Callum. Callum played that role with Luke. Luke played that role with Vico. And it just kind of nicely moves on. And hopefully if Sean keeps moving on and developing the way he is, he'll, he'll get to play that role with a, a young center back in a year or two. Describe Sean's style of play when he came into the program versus now. Uh, Sean's a Van Dyke. He's, he's a Rolls Royce centre back. He's a passer. He sees the game real well. So really good composure. Um, drops away, keeps it in front of him. Not quite as tall as Van Dyke, but that, that's his type of, um, and that's the player he watches the most. Uh, he organises. He's very vocal. Shows great leadership skills. And then the challenge for him, you know, at Charlotte, we're very demanding on what our centre backs do. That's a position I played a lot. So. As the staff here remind me, that's probably the position I'm hardest on the most of what we want out of them. So, but yeah, just in terms of his defensive intensity, um, you've got to play the, the constant battle with yourself of being composed, of being intense, and that, that's what we're working on with, with Sean. But he compliments Pat really well because Pat's your, your old-fashioned five stitches in your head, throw your head wherever it's needed, and, and every single play is, is 100% as intense as it could be so that they balance each other really, really well. Well, that certainly explains the reason that this program continues to turn out such um, stellar center backs because, I mean, if it's a position that you're maybe a little subconsciously hardest on, then absolutely that is certainly a reflection that you just, as a, a bystander covering this team for several years now, that's something that you certainly notice. But correct me if I'm wrong. But I was also a utility player, which I don't know if that's a good thing. Also, I played a lot of center mid and right back as well, so... <laughs> I think the coach couldn't figure out where to play me, you know? That was it. Did you have a preference, though? Uh, center midfield, yeah. Uh, it, it, likewise, likewise. It, uh, it always seems to be that way. But correct me if I'm wrong, Sean's brother, TJ, also plays for you as well. That's right, yes. Taylor, uh, TJ, he's a, a right-sided player, right right back, right midfielder. Doing really well and pushing on as well. And they're both local players here from Charlotte, played locally with club, played... At Mallard Creek, unless I'm mistaken on that. Oh, you got me Mallard Creek. A high school around, within a 15-mile radius of the school, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. And talk to me a bit about, this is something we spoke on, gosh, it's hard to imagine that it's almost a year ago with the Charlotte FC, then Charlotte MLS announcement, 
but the impact that'll have on the program. And of course, seeing Brian wearing multiple hats with not only the 49ers program, but also working with the academy as their coach and the development that offers for young players coming through. What impact do you foresee that having on the local collegiate level and potentially when a player has the opportunity to say, all right, stick in the academy, have the opportunity to sign with the first team or take the college route because you have players like, I mean, Callum will be the first to say, if he had tried to go that route, wouldn't have happened. He didn't develop until later into college, press spurts and so forth. But is that a fork in the road or do you see those tracks running parallel to each other for players to say, stick with the academy to first team route or go the college then professional route? I think this this is a, a great question that one probably needs a, a podcast on its own. It's the, 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 every single player's pathway is very, very different. And this is what, what I'm frightened of is that the college gets removed from what people would class as the elite pathway. And we were just talking with the players uh, yesterday, actually. You know, one of the quiz to get possession of the ball in a possession game was, you know, name the three players who this program has played against in the last 10 years who are now playing in the Premier League. So you talk about college players now going on to the top, top league. But then you look at, you know, Alfonso Davis. He, he didn't. He went straight at 16 and then went over there. So every single player's pathway is very, very different. Um, some players absolutely need to be signed professional at 16, need to be challenged and pushed on. And then there are players, Callum, Callum and Brandt and Elliot are wonderful examples of players who probably until their last year of college, you'd say, OK, he's ready for this opportunity. He's, you know, we talk about building the perfect week. We've kind of holistically helped him with, with all kinds of facets of the game that now they're ready for the opportunity to go and be in the MLS. And they weren't at 18, they weren't at 19, they weren't at 20. And this is the, the great um, benefit of college. You get to really work, get to watch a, a young 18, 17, 18 year old come in and, and they leave you a man in terms of just their personality as young men, but also in terms of a soccer player as well, that they're ready for the challenges. You know, the MLS, playing professional soccer is tough. You're talking about some really macho men who are fighting for, for contracts, fighting for mortgages, their family. <clears throat> and sometimes that's an overwhelming environment for an 18-year-old to walk into. But one thing you can guarantee, a lot of players that leave college environments just by their time management and just by living on their own, that they're ready for that opportunity sometimes more, in addition to working on them in terms of their soccer. Uh, how, how is, you know, Charlotte FC going to benefit us? It's just on several layers, hopefully several levels. At first, it's just going to be absolutely incredible to have an MLS team in our city. So on a Saturday evening, the guys just get on the light rail, go downtown to the Bank of America Stadium and watch the top, top level soccer you can in America. That's going to be phenomenal. We talk about always, you know, modeling yourself and always staring at who you want to become. And that way, hopefully, they're going to have some really good modeling opportunities right in their city at one level. And another level, hopefully, Charlotte FC at the academy level will bring in a lot of some of the best players in the Carolinas. They'll then start to regard Charlotte as home. If it doesn't go their way and they don't get that pro contract, perhaps... You know, we've been right on their doorstep and that familiarity with Brian involved and, and just the university. Hope, we're hoping that when uh, the craziness clears a little bit, that the academy will be able to practice here on our practice field and we can build this, you know, really strong bridge with them so that we can become a part of 
the pathway for their players that, hey, he's not ready at 18, but you know, I really, he's good at academics. I really recommend the college route for him. Perhaps he can join, you know, the Charlotte 49ers for a few years and we can keep our eye on him. So I think on several, several levels, it's going to be fantastic. And also as coaches, we hopefully will get to watch an MLS team coach on our doorstep and get to maybe uh, talk about best practices and, and, Still some ideas from, from these great coaches. So yes, it's, it's going to be nothing but beneficial. We're really, really excited. Obviously you understand why it was pushed back a year, but just can't wait for it to get here. And when you talk about someone like Alfonso Davies, it's interesting to see, you know, a 17 year old making an MLS all-star appearance going on two years later to win Champions League. And he is rare. He is the exception. He is the, the dream. But for many, many players, that's not reality. I mean, heck, I'll use myself as an example. The dream of playing professional wasn't going to happen. But you do have the, you know, the exceptions of you know, Christian Press, Alex Morgan, the, the elites. How do you explain to a player who is 17, 18, and he's on that precipice of, I, I just want my chance now, versus be patient with yourself, take that time to develop, Versus, I mean, there there are players who have come through the collegiate level who have been too impatient and who have, I wouldn't say whittled away their development, but taken the less than opportune path of saying, I can just jump out and go and play professionally right now, but it's not the highest level and it's not the level that's going to get him there. Yeah, I mean... I mean, um, into the choir on that one. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I'll be cut on it. Um, I sit here as a college coach, so I see it differently. And you know, talking to her, I left school at 16. I, I travelled, left my home. I spent 10 years, and then went back to university after it. And the chances of making it, um, where you're going to, no one wants to hear this. And, I, and I'm an old man with grey hair now. But the chances of making this, making it where you're going to have a contract for 10 years in the states, and that's going to set you up for life, very, 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 very slim. So. I think we've got to be careful, but again, every player has their own journey and every every story. What I'm scared of is that the college route is one that's getting removed. You know, that there's all these studies showing if you want to be a top player, you have to make your debut by 17 and 18, and this is the reality. That, that's in other countries. That doesn't have to be our story. You know, the college um, league could become the most... Uh, prominent U23 league in the world if we wanted it to and the NCAA rules would help us to do that where we're producing some fine young men and fine young women for the future we're not limited by contact time with the players we have some of the best facilities in soccer in the country that's for sure and at the same time we're not saying you have to choose soccer or education we're saying you get to do both at a high high level and if at any stage along the journey you're ready for that option, go take it. But what I am petrified as, as a father, is these young men at 17 jumping to take low-level USL contracts, being sold on the dream still, that you, you could do this for a year, then we'll get you in the MLS, and they lose that opportunity to go to college and scholarships that are worth, quite frankly, you know, $240,000 over four years at some schools. You know, at our school for out of state, it'll be a $120,000 commitment we'll make on a player to have a degree and move on and teaching those life skills. I'm just petrified. Obviously, the, the top cream of the crew, they've got to go. go. Go be a pro. Go be a pro. Play with the best players you can be. Go have a wonderful career. I'm just petrified for those 17, 18-year-olds that, that sign for a one-year USL contract. 
on the in USL two on the promise that maybe just maybe or USL one sorry that you know you might you know stay with us we'll happily get on and and quite frankly until the USL um, has the facilities that the college programs have and has the stadium and has fifteen twenty thousand fans in the crowd and pays big salaries that that won't be a a pathway that I would advise any young player who comes to me and asks for my advice. The, the advice would be get a degree, then go and play at that level and play at that level for as long as you can and enjoy it. And hopefully you might move up the levels. If not, stay where you are. You live the dream life. You, you wake up, you go train at 10 in the morning, you go home, you've got the rest of the day to yourself, you play in front of thousands of people at the weekends. You're, you're a pro soccer player. What a lifestyle but I wouldn't give up a chance for an education for that too young. Okay. I've probably said more than I should have said, and probably all pro coaches out there, not that are probably watching this, are probably thinking, what's he talking about? But that, that's just my take on it. You know? Well, hey, if they're if they're watching this, then Bravo, our soccer coverage has... Exactly. My whole background and my whole whole socialization in, in soccer and football is is pro. It's complete pro. I spent the first 12 years of my life in a pro environment and the last however many years in a college environment. So it's not that I'm anti it at all. I just think we've got to be careful and build a right pathway and a right uh, stepping stones for players to move on in their life, not just in soccer. And you have plenty proven examples. And the most recent one, of course, Brent Bronico, Chicago Fire, went on to get his master's while he's in the league. He's gone on and used this time during COVID while the league was shut down to say, all right, let's really dive into real estate development and learn more about what his life after the game look like. Because that- yeah, and, and, you know, there's no doubt in my mind Brent's going to be a success whatever he does. Whether it's, you know, kicking a ball around the field or whether it's going into business or whatever it is. You know, Elliot has his engineering degree. But we also have players who've left our program early, none for the, uh, one for the MLS, but a lot for USL. And I, I was nervous for them because I, I didn't feel that we had done our, our work. We hadn't guided them enough that they were ready for the, for the competition and for the, the trauma and for the ups and the downs that, that a pro world is pro soccer world is going to give them or life in general so that there are players who've left our program early who we wish them nothing but the best we care for them we love them but the back of my mind I'm always like I just hope it goes well for him but when it comes to Elliot when it comes to Callum when it comes to Daniel Bruce when it comes to Brad Bronico I have no doubt they're going to be successful young men in whatever they set their mind to and I guess that's the difference a little bit of course, the uh, looking back at the, the Charlotte FC side of things, something that uh, Zoran, I still don't know if it's Zoran or Zoran, and I apologize if I'm butchering your name, but... I'll, I'll, I'll shout Brian next door, he can probably cut off Brian, how do you say this guy's name? But um, to, to that end, the Charlotte FC organization right now, they've emphasized that they're looking toward English Championship and Segunda over in Spain. That's where they want to pull their players from. Sergio Ruiz as the prime example of their only signing thus far. But having that experience of being around the um, the English calendar, like you said, for a number of years, talk to me a bit about the varying levels of Premier League and Championship and how close they are. And when you have someone saying that they're better than MLS right now for a number of those clubs. What the caliber of play potentially to be expected at Bank of America Stadium will look like in 2022. 
I'm not not the expert to be talking about this. I, I can talk about college soccer and you know the you know the youth and the local environment. I, I guess um, I did play in a championship uh, back a long long time ago, in '99, so 21 years ago. So hopefully it's changed a bit since then. But um, I, I don't know exactly. And I also find it quite hard to. This is why they get paid the big bucks down at Charlotte FC to really compare leagues and see if you took this team and put it in this league, how would they do? I always find that very difficult, just because of the culture of every country you're in and the style of soccer and the different, even different refereeing styles, you know. Um, but there are no doubt, you know, the Premier League's the world, world league, you know, with La Liga and, and the Bundesliga. It's the world league. It's, it's not an English league. It's, it's one of the, you know. It's players from all over the world, as we know. And the championship has a bit more kind of Britishness to it. But again, there are some incredible players in it. There are some incredible teams, some incredible managers in it. Uh, Bristol City, my old team, where I spent most of my professional life, is top of the league at the moment in the championship. So I'm happy about that. But I know the Charlotte FC guys are kind of hearing stuff Brian's talking about and talking to, to Mark Nichols, that the amount of detail they're going into, the amount of analysis all the work behind the scenes, that there's no doubt that they're going to really find some some great players to come and play in Charlotte and some great potential. And I'm curious what the business model will be. Will, be. will it be they want established players here or do they want young up-and-coming players? I'm, I'm really excited just to watch the project unfold. Chris and Aaron Heck speaking with Dan Locke, it certainly sounds like the... The academy system it is going to be the, the feeder system, so I'm just waiting for them to produce their first Marcus Rashford. But hey, that's the United supporter in me coming out. And I totally agree. Why not? I think the Carolinas is, is such an incredible hotbed for all sports. You know, if you look at, I think if you just have some fun and want to look at some rosters all around the MLS, you're going to see a lot of Carolina players playing there. Um, you know, even, the, you know, what, Matteo Busio, uh, I'll see one of our seniors here. His brother's playing that in case it is another Carolina boy. There's, there's some unbelievable Carolina players. And then you just have to look at other sports as well. And, you know, the NFL, the draft picks and basketball, obviously. So absolutely no reason why we can't in the next few years. And, and now we have a, you know, I think the clubs have always been phenomenal in Charlotte, really phenomenal. But I think they've always had to balance that participation and running a business model with the elite players and the elite teams. Uh, and but now we have a program in town, you know, the Charlotte MLS Academy. They say, no, we are, we are here, we exist to just try and put one or two players every year into the first team, and that that shifts its focus a little bit and the attention to detail and how they they bring players in, the recruiting to bring players from outside the area. So absolutely no reason why we can't hopefully in ten years go down to Bank of America Stadium and see eight or nine Carolina boys running around there in the MLS. It'd be pretty cool. Though. Now, I have to ask my last, but certainly most, uh, perhaps the most important question of the day. I'll let you decide that. How long, if you were to put on your, uh, your magician's hat and you pull out your crystal ball and decide how long it'll be until the first Charlotte 49er plays for Charlotte FC? I know it would be tomorrow if that was possible, but in, in the meantime, in between time, unless you know something I don't know about science. The, uh, I read a book once, I think it might be the, the gold mine effect, and there was a there was a, a bunch of Danish maybe coaches sat around the room and they, they put the name of a, a player who was in their academy into an envelope and they all signed it, who was going to be the first one to play in the major league or get signed from it. I can't remember the exact thing. And, and then they opened it when it happened. And uh, we like to do stuff like that here in Charlotte, you know? Not that we put our expectation or we label players, but it's also... And, and I love that um, 
that whispering talent. That's kind of what, what I really enjoy about soccer. When we see just a little uh, glimpse of something, oh, we can work on that. Oh, that's the right character. And the character is the main thing. So to answer your question in a short way, what are we now? 2020? I should remember that year. It's a bad year. Um, 2023. 2023? Yeah. Um, well, hey, in... Three years, well, I guess two and a half years now, not even, I'm definitely going to bug you we'll, about that. We'll do that today with uh, Jason, Brian, Tomo. We'll get the envelopes and we'll, we'll sign across the seal and we'll put the player in there who we think either recruits come and join us or players in our program now. We'll have some fun with that. But I don't see any reason why, why not. And I, I think the benefit for our program is that in the school holidays, hopefully we can send some players down and they, they can train with the MLS team and That'll give the MLS guys a real first hand of, okay, this, this player's ready or this player's got potential. So I think it's going to be hopefully a wonderful symbiotic relationship. And of course, you know, the relationships with on the academy side and with the, the current front office staff, all of that is great. But how much do you think it will help and or change once they announce, you know, the inaugural as Zoran is, Zoran is around? We haven't decided on that yet. But once, I wonder if we can call him Z. I wonder if anyone else does. I might have to start going with that. But once they announce the inaugural head coach, as he's preferring to call it, versus manager, but once that staff is put together and assembled and those relationships begin, how much do you think that will impact everything? Or is it just a matter of, you know, the relationships are there with Mark Nichols and so forth. It's already taken care of, essentially. Again, that's not a a question I'll really be able to put too much input in because um, I'm not in that world. I, ju- I just know that the structure that they're putting in place and not having a manager, having a head coach, that means that the head coach is going to be primary responsibility. Obviously, he's going to be the first team and putting a team out on the field that's prepared to win the next MLS game. And the identity, the, the style, and obviously the head coach will come in with his own style of play, but it'll be in the same a ballpark of, of what the technical directors and all the owners want there. So it won't be someone coming in with a totally different view of the game. But obviously the head coach will be responsible for, for winning the next game, putting a style together. And then, then behind the scenes, you know, the general manager, the technical directors, that they'll be working on identity of the club, style of play, recruitment. So that seems that's the modern way, to be honest. Lots of specialists in place who are all coming together in a cohesive way. To, for the benefit of the organisation, gone are the days where is it a unicorn who sits at the sits at the power and he decides what's going on, and then you sack him because the results aren't going well, and then a new manager comes in and and he wants his own type of player. I, I experienced that myself at Bristol City. I had six different first team managers in six years, uh, and some as dramatic as you know, eleven players put on a transfer list, and the new manager got to bring in eleven of his own players, and all of a sudden you've got thirty eight pros half training with a youth team, half playing, and then he moves on six months later. Uh, and there's just no cohesive, there's no structure, there's no moving forward with the organisation. So knowing the structure is put in place and the modern views of the game and how to do it, it would appear the head coach will be the head coach. And behind the scenes, they'll be moving on with the business model, with what has to happen with recruitment, with the style, with the identity, with integrating the youth players into the first team. With integrating, I'm sure they'll be they'll have a USL team that they'll be affiliated with. How they keep that uh, game model and the philosophy of play all the way through the club moving up. Well, goodness knows we could stay here and talk shop all day and then some, and then I would say um, you guys started this 12 hours ago. You're still, okay, still go. But I do appreciate you joining me today on Sports Charlotte, and as always, a pleasure. 
will be hopefully seeing you in February to harass you about the forthcoming season and everything as it gets underway. It'll be a lot chillier than, uh, than we're used to with that usual heat of August and the typical start of the season. So something to look forward to. Absolutely, but we'll be hopefully playing in, in May, some beautiful May uh, spring evenings, summer evenings, hopefully still playing for the national tournament. But, but thank you so much, Asti, for all your coverage about soccer in this area and uh, for keeping us relevant when uh, we're not really relevant at the moment, just training behind closed doors. So thank you so much. Sport Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.